how the hell's everyone going? I hope you like um, your own company or your partner's company because you're sure as shit going to find out whether you do or not after after uh, the third week of lockdown um, grabs you by the nuts. Fortunately, I like both of those things, so I'm a happy camper and I've got myself a, uh, a beautiful three-and-a-half-week-old daughter to hang out with and spend my time with too, so... I say bring on another month of lockdown. That's too strong. I don't mean that. But you know what I'm saying. My guest today is... She's a hell of a woman. Um, There's no two ways to say it. She's incredibly talented. And she's just so lovely. And she's one of those people who when you're sitting there talking to her, whether it's just as someone having a general conversation or as an actor um, and she's giving you direction or, or um, you're expressing an idea about something, she listens, man. She really listens and you know that she's zeroed in on everything that you have to say and that's that's rare. So I'm, I've always been very um, taken by this character trait. My guest today is Nina Buxton. Uh, Nina Buxton is, as I say, is an incredibly talented director and we met on the set of a film called Moi, which she wrote direct and it went on to become one of Miss Official Selections and she won an award at the Byron Bay Film Festival, which you will hear all about in the podcast. But I wanted to say this without diving into too much of what's coming in the conversation, you'll have to listen. We touched on it in the conversation. I don't think I fully conveyed or revealed to Nina um, an event that took place between us. We, I came along to watch the, the screening of Moi at the 2017, I want to say, um, MIF um, official selection at... Um, the Hoyts in the, in, in the city it was great. And at the time, I was trying to get a director for a film of mine. And I thought, geez, this film would, would this would be great if Nina was at the helm. And we had a discussion. She's like, yeah, yeah, send it through to me. And I sent it through to her. And the film, the film is Lauren. You've heard me talk about the film. And it's about a fellow who um, becomes a sociopathic serial killer later in life due to his childhood traumas. So he's someone who's always been a really nice and gentle and keep to himself type guy and then the you could almost say catharsis of a, of a memory um, that comes that comes out through a dream leads him on this dark and twisted tale so there is as, as you would imagine with a, a film about a serial killer unfortunately his target is women and so the film centers around this man killing women but that the film isn't about a man that kills women it's about a man who's broken by a childhood event and he's just trying to apologize for what he did as a child through through these actions you have to watch the film to to see how it all unfolds anyways i presented this film to nina um and i don't think she loved the premise so much um being that that she had just was just doing the rounds on a film about a woman a young girl actually who's um 
tormented by a stranger in a car, you know, after hours on a dark street, um, and about the 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 just the shit that that girls have to go through on a daily day basis, from from the very minor to the extreme. So she's sort of looking at this film, going, um, "Why the fuck would I want to direct this?" And at the time, I thought. Oh, okay, cool. Well, she's 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 just this total feminist, and she doesn't get it, and rah rah rah. And I thought, now nah, she thinks I'm a total prick, and <laughs> and we never spoke again. And so I thought, oh well, fine, fine. She doesn't want to be part of my film. If she doesn't get it. Fine, you know that sort of shit. And years went by, and then she reached out to me with an incredibly kind, like just total Nina type message and I was like shit I had that completely wrong so I apologize to you Nina and I'm so glad that you reached out and came down and spoke with me because it was it was so great to catch up and I, and I love what you're up to and I loved working with you and I hope that we get to do it again so check this episode out of Big Wonder with Nina Buxton if you're in the market for some delicious wines um you know what? Not a single person that I can tell has followed this link and ordered themselves some wine. I'm curious about that. Is it just the initial outlay or you don't drink wine, which I know is bullshit, um, or it's just you're not compelled or am I not presenting a strong enough case for it? That's interesting to me. hundred bucks off a case of wine seems pretty enticing or maybe there's too much effort or maybe now that you can't even leave the house basically to go to Dan Murphy's or whatever over the weekend you might take this one head on over to Naked Wines right so you www.nakedwines.com.au slash wonder and you will get a hundred dollars off some of Australia's best most independent winemakers it's like I drink it I've been with them for six seven months now it's incredible wine just give it a shot give it a shot and if you really really like it you can go on to become an angel and then you get all of their wine at up to 50% off all the time and it's an incredible organization that supports Australian winemakers who aren't part of the big boys and getting ripped off check it out you won't regret it Nina, so good to see you. So nice to see you too. Man, it's been ages. It's been a couple of years. Fucking. But you look the same. Except for the hair, likewise. Yeah, except for slightly longer hair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, geez, I would have been really short hair back then. I think my my hair was about this short when we were filming. Super super short. Yeah. 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 How are you? You good? Yeah, really well. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming down. Thanks for reaching out. I have to say, and I did say this before, but I think it's important to. Go back over. I wasn't sure if I was ever going to hear from you again. <laughs> and so I was really surprised. But but interestingly enough, I was like, oh, great, Dina. And then I was thinking as I was like, I kind of saw it pop up as I was driving and I caught some of the first lines and I was like, geez, I hope she's turning this into a feature and she's talking to me about that. Oh, my so God. The, 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 the career aspect came in. 
I don't know if that short film could be a feature. It would be people already were saying the idea wasn't long enough even for a short film. So really? I think it would need a lot more in it. Although it could be the opening scene to a feature maybe in the future. Yeah, I mean the premise the um, of moi, your film, um, is a very real one and you were ahead of the curve too on that, right? Because the Me Too thing hadn't quite kicked into gear yet. That's true actually. I think just after we made the movie, um, Me Too started happening and it was really good timing. I guess at the time I thought there are no movies about what it feels like to be sexually harassed. There are no films about that feeling. So that's why I made it and, it, yeah, it was, it was really good timing. I just have this terrible feeling that I have not pressed record on the video. Okay. This is one of the downfalls of doing it all on your own. <laughs> That's okay. So this will be in the video. <laughs> I did. Yay. I hate that feeling, but I'm such a scatterbrain, so I have to double check. No, it's better to check now than to get to the end and then oh, have to redo. There's, there's one podcast that I that I um, subscribe to on, on, on occasion, and he has got high-profile guests, but he does it all on his own. It's stressful. Oh, actually, Mark Marins is the same. Do you ever listen to... What the fuck, Mark Maron? No, should I? Have you watched Glow? Oh, I've actually just started watching it. Right, yeah. so he's the, the, the director. Oh, cool. Yeah, and he's got a podcast called What the Fuck and he's been doing it for years. He's had Obama on there when he, I'm pretty sure when he was a president. Wow. In his garage. Wow. And I think he's the only person to ever have Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio on a podcast. Wow. And have them together. Nice. But he had all these tech issues in the middle of... Because <laughs> he, he had to go to them and he's got his laptop and his microphones. and How come he didn't just get an assistant? I don't I'm sure people would kill to be an assistant right. on that Can podcast. Can you imagine? It's not like he can't afford it now. He's killing it. <laughs> I think it's part of his shtick to do it on his own mm. like he has always done. Um, so anyways, let's go back because I wanted to say um, – so anyways, yes, I'm, I'm pumped that you reached out and I'm pumped that Moi is now online. Me too. Yeah, that's great. I hadn't, no one except Eric has seen it too. So I've been now able to share it around to everyone can see me doing the. Doing the creepy stuff. Doing the creepy stuff. <laughs> um, but, but so let's just say, let's just spitball this for a second. Mm-hmm. If, if that were, if you were or someone was, whatever, developing that into a feature, what would be the premise of that? Yeah, you're right. You would have to do like it would because the way that I was cast in it was because of the juxtaposition to the classic stereotype of mm. who might be in that car. So mm-hmm. you had me in like dad shirts and sweaters and Yeah, which, I really didn't want um because it was based on a true story of I mean, I've been catcalled so many times, but there was this one time when I was walking home in North Melbourne and I was walking home in the dark and I heard this sound. It was this soft squelching sound and it was so unusual. I was looking around. I didn't know what it was. And then I heard it again, like this Uh. sound. And I turned around and there was this man in a car and yeah, he was doing it to me. And I was so surprised (laughs) in the moment, but also um, terrified also terrified afterwards and then um then after that I was really angry but um the man who did to me he was a tr- he was I think he was a tradie because he was in a pickup truck with like the high vis shirt and it's such a stereotype and <laughs> yeah. I just I didn't want I didn't want to make this movie um a stereotype I wanted it to be more like because in the real world I think women are made to feel uncomfortable by 
so many different kinds of men and a lot of the time it's just people they work with or just ordinary guys. So yeah. that's why I didn't want to make it a tradie or something that you would expect. I wanted the man who mm-hmm. you played to be um, very relatable and, you know, normal or whatever. Did that – so so before I let my brain go on another tangent, it would be interesting then if, if you saw that expanded as to him drive off and go back to his family and mm. walk in the door with – you know, two young girls mm-hmm, or whatever mm-hmm. and uh, and a seemingly loving wife and what have you and then her go back home and deal with the fallout mm. of that experience and then you have this kind of linear sort of storytelling of the two juxtapositions like that because that otherwise it's just, oh, yeah, he goes back to his single bed, bed apartment and jerks off and yeah. whatever and it's gross but... It is really interesting it. to think about it yeah. with him having a family because so many um, men who are end up being accused of sexual harassment do have families and kids and a whole um, a whole life that people value, you know. I think that sort of boils down to this common thing where people, whether they don't, they, they proactively don't want to or they aren't trained to putting the shoe on the other foot. Like if if that is the case... How can you not imagine what it would feel like to know that that happened to one of your children and that what you're doing has to stop? It, but it, it, it doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Like I have sort of not one arguments, but I have been able to highlight points through that exercise. Just Let's just run this scenario out for a second. Imagine if you walked in and someone did this to you, da, da, da. and you, you do it in such a way that leads them to that place of, oh, fuck. You know, they've, they've mm. never been able to do for themselves mm-hmm. or didn't want to. It's, I mean, it's kind of fascinating. Um, what was the – did you find through whoever you spoke to about the film afterwards and what have you that that um, intentional character choice paid off? So that when you do get that snapshot of the driver, mm-hmm. that they're like, oh, shit. I had a couple of people say that they were really glad that it was just a normal dude who right. did it. Right, Which Be- is Because y- it spoke to their own personal experience. So I'm, gl- I'm really glad I made that decision. That choice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It also makes it seem less about the person and more about just the, the world in a way. Mm-hmm. So you can't blame it oh, he's just the kind of guy who would do that. To make him more universal and just kind of like an everyman kind of character, it speaks more to the just the world we live in and a bit more about, um, yeah, the the broader problem as opposed to people just writing off that film as, oh, that was just mm-hmm. specific to her and him in that moment. It's, right, it I can wanted, happen to me. Yeah, I wanted the film to be more like this is um, a universal kind of story. Yeah. yeah, fuck. That's so true because... That makes it real for everyone. And you played it so well. Like when we were auditioning um, for the role of the man, there were so many guys who came in and they were just so over the top oh, with right. their like, you know, when they were, all they had to do was um, pretend to be in a car and do a little kiss. <laughs> but so many guys were just acting really scary and um, oh, right. and doing really over the top kind of performances. And when you came in, it was so great because you were just yes, yourself. Oh, just myself. 
Oh, like, shit. It's exactly <laughs> what we needed. We just needed someone to be normal, like a normal right, right, guy. Right. Yeah. And to just do a kiss as if, you know, as you would to, I don't know, like a friend your, or... Your missus. Yeah, hey, exactly. And yeah. it's that familiar kind of way to do it to a stranger. Yeah, That's that, what makes it really makes frightening. Totally. So... I'm so glad that we cross paths. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a trip. Um, it's a funny thing because everything that you're ever taught in acting school is, you know, be big when, when big is required, but but ultimately always be natural and be real and it mm-hmm. is the fucking hardest thing to do. For sure. Um, to not lean into whatever you think the tone is. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it was. Yeah. And yeah. just you don't have to. Like, I mean, that's why I said to you, I was like, I really appreciate the kind words, but everything was set up so perfectly well so that the moment that you do see me for that blink, the car, her feelings, the ticking, the light, the sound, it's already led the audience to that place. I really like that shot because um, it's it, – took so much planning. Do you remember how mm-hmm. you were in a car further back and there was a radio down there to time it? <laughs> yeah. And it was so hard to get the timing right because that hill is deceivingly steep and Bethany did such a good job of riding the bike. It was Multiple a barely times. roadworthy bike. It was my childhood bike, <laughs> really? which I now in hindsight think I should have splurged out on actual good <laughs> bike because- Here's this thing that, yeah. that doesn't work anymore and this, there's only one gear, but enjoy that hill. Oh my God. Yeah, it was really tough. So she did a really good job of riding the bike up and then, yeah, we had to get the timing of you driving your car down in the background to get up at the exact same time. So mm-hmm. yeah, you guys killed it. Yeah, right. Oh, that, it Logistically wasn't- difficult. <laughs> was it like one in the morning? Yeah, I think. What did we shoot between what midnight and four a.m.? Something like that. I yeah, feel yeah, so yeah. sorry for the neighbours on that street because we were yelling. Yeah, and- it's hard. Hey, I had the same <laughs> here. We were shooting for four days straight. Every every day finished at about three thirty here yeah. for Lauren. Um, which. Man, I wish you did direct because it was a <laughs> fucking nightmare. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, God. And they got lights on outside yeah. and, you know, action. And we're driving cars in and out. Like, yeah. Fuck. But luckily I, I know most of my neighbours, I never even told them, but they were pretty good. with. I never got any complaints, thank fuck. Yeah. But it is, it is hard to keep a crew quiet especially when they're clutching its drawers at 3 3 a.m. And, and especially all, when you're revving the engine as well, like on the spot. Yeah, take take <laughs> 17, okay, for yeah. it. You know. <laughs> that was um, good though because I think I'd just come back from Germany that week and so I was on a different um, – I was really jet-lagged at the time. Oh, and oh before so, the shooting started. Yeah, I okay. came back a few days just before we started shooting and so – Staying up all night, it was actually perfect. I, and plus the adrenaline of making a movie that'll keep you wide awake as well. So, is that your first film? Yeah. Uh, I made a, a couple of films when I was at film school. Which before is, that. where'd you go? Uh, VCA. Right, right, right. So, cool. you make a movie um, in Each. first year, second year, and third year. So, I'd done yeah. those. And this was my first movie outside of film school. Um, it's really fascinating to see. I suppose it's not that fascinating. It's more encouraging to see like the progression when you act in a first year VCA mm. film to a final. And is. also making them because when you make your first year VCA film, you think it's going to be so great. So great. And then when you watch it, you're like, <laughs> the fuck oh my, this is barely a movie. 
<laughs> I remember my first year VCA film. I thought it was going to be like, you know, masterpiece, blah, blah. And then when I actually edited all the scenes together, it was so quick because I didn't understand about how to pace something and how to pace in between scenes. And I think it was meant to go for five minutes, but it actually went for about 45 seconds. (laughs) You made a trailer. (laughs) And so my friend, my really great friend, Alex, um, who's an amazing filmmaker, he said, you should just open with some really long credits and just have the credits come on and then use a soundscape on black to space it out a little so I think I had one minute credits at the beginning with just music and sounds and stuff and then the actual film was about 45 seconds (laughs) it was not the best (laughs) but some really great people gave up their time to be involved and they were awesome any any kickback from your actors who were looking for footage (laughs) yeah I don't know if anyone's using that one in their show reel but they were actually really talented actors and the crew was incredible it just I was I was the worst one (laughs) there yeah, definitely. But that's part of it, hey, fucking hell. I, I recently, um, so like a couple of the first student films that I did, I mean the first one that I ever did is absolute rubbish. And I and, and for, for, from all of us, I mean I had no acting training at that point and terrible makeup. They, I was supposed to be like a washed out rock and roller who had cirrhosis of the liver. Okay. So they were <laughs> trying to give me jaundice and I was like. Oh, Wow. I know that you want me to look jaundiced, but I just look yellow at the moment. I look like fucking Homer Simpson. You know, yeah, like, jaundice and a, and a first year film project don't go together. <laughs> yeah, it's like this, you need to be really skilled at this. Yeah. And you're just painting me yellow. So this is a fail straight out of the gate. So many, this is the thing, so many first year um, projects, they're so ambitious, mm. you know, they try and do so much. In fact, I think my first year and third year VCA projects were trying to do 20 times more than I did in this movie. The ones, right. This movie was so simple. It was one page. It That's was a testament to simplicity. Yeah. yeah. Like I think that's something I learned is that you don't have to go over the top and um, do just a million things and have all these character changes and try and be super clever. You can just do – you can just make a movie about a moment from your day and that can be just as good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, The writing is great and the acting is great. Yeah. You know, it it can be a simple shot. I think Um, um, this whole movie of moi was all the acting because there wasn't really much writing in it at all. It was just – I mean, it was really only one page and only a couple. There was hardly any dialogue. The whole thing, I think, rides on the performances. So I'm so grateful for you and Bethany and Maya. You guys were awesome. They did a great job. Um, but 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 credit where credit's due too, right? Like if you had to compose those shots terribly and you didn't catch the moments hmm. and you didn't follow it and you didn't keep the rhythm right and the beats and the, the build to that crescendo would have fallen on its ass. It all had to peak at that moment. Mm. Yeah. It was – we carefully – did plan out every shot to make it. Um, I think also because we were working with such a limited budget and time, <laughs> we didn't have the time or the budget to cover it from all these different angles. So we did plan each shot specifically. I think it's a, it's a great you, exercise that. Yeah, d- yeah. It's like shooting with film, you know, when you have limited roles, it's yep. so specific. Like we only covered each um, each moment from the script from one angle. Okay. Which also made it difficult in the edit because there were particular times when we didn't actually have the option to speed it up if we wanted to because it was only taken from that one so specific. you were very confined by what you had. Definitely. Yep. Like the edit was planned out before we started shooting. 
Yeah, so there's pros and cons to that, hey? It's like it's simpler to edit in terms of what I have to pick from. Yeah. Yeah, but then if you don't love what you have, yeah. you're like, fuck. Yeah, there's one moment in the movie <clears throat> that I always want to speed up. Um, there's one shot, but there's nothing we could have done because it was only shot from one specific angle and unless you jump cut it, mm -hmm. then there's no other way. So there's always this one moment in the movie, which is when she um, turns her bike around and is riding in the other direction. Mm -hmm. I, want, I really want that shot to just speed up and maybe it's the anxiety as well because you want her to get away from you. Uh, that's but interesting. I'm always like find my body even just like moving forward because I'm just like, I don't know if it's me wanting the character to get away or me as the director being like, oh my God, I wish we sped Hurry up this up. shot. Yeah. Yeah. Hurry up, get to the next bit. Well, that's really interesting too from, from an editing standpoint because I don't um, – I only really understand editing from a photography aspect. So like when I'm editing, especially not so, – editing stills is not the same to me anyways as, as editing an editorial and that the images that you pick and you have to sort of have that internal response but I, I tried to start editing Lauren and let's m move away from just the fucking nightmare of trying to learn how to use the, the software <laughs> but but understanding beats and and rhythm of editing and the yeah. emotional input and I, that's a really great way of seeing it from an editor's perspective I I feel like and so then you have to run with that like um, something great that was said to me once was when I was um, learning how to shoot editorials and what have you um, just when you got your thousand photos at the end of the shoot pick the ones that would stop you if you were flicking through a magazine yes and yes. there's your style yes so that's same thing same with, thing with editing when you're watching back your footage anytime yep. you feel something they're the shots you end up using yeah or when you feel like you need to see the other person's reaction that's when you cut like it's all so oh, emotional that's great yeah um and that's one of the so from the other side that um good acting coaches will teach you to always be on mm. even when you're you don't think that you're in the shot or what have you. So Absolutely. They might end up cutting back to you more often. Absolutely. That's such a big thing mm. always. Like actors who give a little more when they're listening, they those shots always get used. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Um, and so that went on to the official selection for MIF, which mm -hmm. is where I last saw you. Yes. Which was... That was my dream. That's I, epic. I mean, is it every <coughs> Melbourne filmmaker's dream to get into MIF? That's just the hard, holy man. grail. It's real hard. It's so hard. Yeah. I got rejected from MIF the year before with my um my VCA graduate film. Right. I so wanted to go to MIF with that movie and it just wasn't there. It wasn't at that point. And now I'm grateful that I didn't go to MIF with that VCA movie. You know, I'm really glad that it was the, with this movie because yeah, which is outside just, of VCA. Yeah, and it was my own and it yeah. felt just felt uh, right. So um, that MIF was so fun. It was so great. We did the um, week of Accelerator and you got to go to lots of talks and you got to meet all these other filmmakers and they play it at Hoyt's on that big screen and I've never seen a movie, um, one of my movies played on such a big screen before so that was super cool. It's a trip. 
Yeah, and the sound was so good. And people really do come out as well uh, at MIFF. Like so many people come and see the new filmmakers' movies, which is really nice. It's not, an, you know, at going to lots of festivals. You do go to festivals where it's an empty cinema. No one turns up. So normal. But at MIFF, people turn up for the um, newcomer movies. So it was yeah. great to see a full cinema. It was full. Yeah. yeah. And what was it? There was five films on, five shorts or something? I think, yeah, five or six. And then there's two um, two different screenings. So altogether there were about 10 or 12. Um, I can't remember now. but. And you picked yeah. up a, a director's award at Byron Bay? I did Festival? at Byron Bay. Yeah, Best that was, young female, was it? Yeah, it was um, Australian Filmmaker of the Year Award. <laughs> it was so fun. That's fucking amazing. It was great. Yeah, you must have been like, tell me about that. It was great. Um, I got to go to Byron Bay for a week, which was really fun. Is that all? Byron. Are you paid for or you jet up there yourself and go along to the – how does that all work? I can't remember now. I f- don't – I think I paid my own way to mm-hmm. go there. There are some festivals you go to where they do pay for you to go. Like I went to a festival in um, Germany where they paid for my flights to go over. Wow. For, I, for moi? Uh, no, for, that was for my sh- short film I made before that called Woof. So that was – a trip that was incredible um that's unreal but i think for byron we uh we paid our own way i think it was a couple of years ago now but mm. anyways and yeah so that was um so fun they gave you a, pa- a pass to go see all the films and then we had um the closing night and we just danced and it was so fun and they had a whole lot of really good projects too like there was a whole vr room which was incredible mm-hmm. got to see some cool vr projects and yeah, it was did great. you did you know that you were getting that award before you went up there? No, they oh, don't tell you. Yeah, they never tell you. Wow, what a trip, hey! So, yeah, it's always um, yeah surprise. So, uh, before I move on to my next with moi, because working on it with you seemed seamless, right? You had a great team. Everyone was super super positive and helpful, and had their shit together. Was what was the biggest you know, were there any major hurdles with getting that done? Because seemingly you'd made one the year before, so that's a reasonably quick turnaround. I think it was the not getting into myth was what I was like, I've got to make something else. Ah. I always find not getting something you want pushes you so much further than getting what you want. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely why I made the movie so quickly. I was just desperate to do something else outside of film school. Um And it was surprisingly so easy. Honestly, my VCA third year film was so hard. It was really hard to make. Um, And I was worried that that's just what filmmaking was. But then making moi was so great because it it just came together so easily. And there were almost no hurdles. The biggest hurdle was getting the funding. Mm -hmm. And by funding, I mean, you know, coming up with the money ourselves because it wasn't funded. Right. So we did um, sausage sizzles to raise money. Um, so that was that was tough, honestly, mm-hmm. spending a couple of Saturdays in an empty car park just trying to <laughs> sell sausage. It was We felt a little desperate and that feeling is the opposite to yeah. creativity. So, yep. <clears throat> yeah, that was hard. But then once the, that part of it was over, it was easy. I think I can't. I mean, there were tough times in the edit always. You always, um, when you first put it together, I feel most filmmakers feel a little bit disheartened at their first cut because um, just the first pass is always not as good as it can be. Mm -hmm. And so it's the first time you're watching the movie outside of your head and in the real 
on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, after you spend more time finessing it and then you get the sound design in, mm-hmm. um, then it becomes exactly, well, for if you're lucky, it becomes exactly yep. what you hoped it would be. Those layers. Are honestly, s- like, I was so lucky that there were no major hurdles because everyone was so easy to work with and everybody mm. everybody gave up their two nights of their life, you yeah. know, to work on it and it was great. Everybody pitched in so much. Like I remember Emma, our producer, Emma's dad made those wood fire pizzas for us in his wood fire pizza oven out the back of his house. Oh, wow. And people just went above and beyond in every department. So That's nice and I think that's um, a testament to the con content you know and and mm. but not to say that it needs to be something um super poignant or super mm. political or or what have you for people to get behind it i mean the, the horror community will get behind anything not not anything that's rubbish but they love it so much that people <clears throat> will give their time no 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 troubles you know that it's a it's a big sell an easy sell for some people, yeah, it's the genre and yeah. some people it's the message. They just want yes. it. And then for some people it's the people. Like there are a bunch of filmmakers in my life. I would do anything for them yeah. no matter what their film was. I love them and respect them so much that I would, you know, I'd make food for them on their set. I would mm-hmm. do, I would be a runner. Yeah, just to make sure that they get it done. Yeah. 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 I think that's um, ultimately sort of I have a couple of objectives with this podcast and one of them being that I start that this becomes a little bit of a, a funnel or a highway for all of us that are of the same mindset that, that, that we then now start helping each other out with whatever comes down the line. Um, even two people who have already been on the podcast, um, Johnny and, and Johnny Balaz and, and Lauren Bailey, we've discussed the, 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 the nightmare that I had trying to make my film and it's still sitting on a hard drive. Mm-hmm. Tied up. By oh, we've all got things on hard drives <coughs> that will probably never see the light of day, or maybe they'll come out in five years and be, That's you know, nuts. the and next it, best thing. Yeah, and they've gone and like uh, contacted people, and maybe I can put you in touch with this editor, and maybe I can put you in that touch with this editor, and um, I think that's a really a great little thing, and, and and someone who isn't from Melbourne, that's my ultimate goal is to try and have like a little tribe or group of filmmakers that whenever an idea comes up, we float it mm-hmm. amongst the group and going, what, what have we got that can go and get this done now? Yeah. yeah. You know, where we, we go and spend two days and just No one do can it. do it alone. Like you no need way. to have. You can't. Everyone needs to have a group of people around them who are willing to sacrifice something as, at this level because yeah. later when you get funding, you pay people and that's how it comes together. But in the early stages, you you can't do it without your group of people, you yeah. know. And it's it's a really, I find it, I probably struggle with this, struggle is a strong word. Um, it's just like. You can struggle. It's okay. We all struggle. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, like I just, like I've got two scripts, two other scripts that I've written, short little things um, that I just wished I had a crew and we, that we could, I could just go, guys, okay, when are we all free? Let's go and do it now. Because um, it just benefits all of us if we're making things, you know, and it doesn't have to be over the top, like you said. It can be a single cam, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, a lapel and a, and a live sort of raw, um, what's the word, wild mic. 
Yeah. And two actors and it can be great. Yeah. And you, you can know. do a lot of stuff in one night. Like you can, you can shoot a film in one day. You can. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Especially in, on the short variety. Um, if, the, if the writing is good and the acting is good and, and, and get it done. The hard part is, is you don't generally have musicians and sound designers in, in as a part of that tribe. Mm-hmm. That's my experience. So then you've got to go and find them and that's where you, it seems that every short film that gets enough momentum to get made to to get made gets stopped in its tracks is that the post production is very tricky because those are um are, well unless you're lucky and you have a bunch of mates who are sound designers and work out you know they're the those facilities sometimes it's really hard to get those for free i mean any anyone yep. can ask their friend to be a caterer or to hold a light but to do a sound mix or a color grade, you it's do need those brutal. post facilities and yep. that's where you do need a bit of cash, I find, yep. yeah, to get yep. it across the line, 100%. especially sound because sound is so important in, in film. More than half of a film, I think, is sound. So you have to put so much work into that, I think. And it's the one that seems to let people down. Absolutely, because it's it's often underlooked. People think it's all about the camera, but it's not. Yeah. It's all about the sound. Yeah, it, it really, really is. And then... And then to give it that cinematic sort of professional feel, the sound design that needs to happen there. I mean, even I remember doing a short film um, when I first moved to Melbourne and it was shot really, really well. <clears throat> and it was a great little story. But when I saw the final product, the, the, the sound design was just, and I had no real knowledge of filmmaking at that point at all i just started training as an actor but i remember saying to the director i was like it looks great man but there's this scene where i'm walking towards the camera and i'm walking away and there's no doppler effect on the walking it's just the constant walking as i'm walking away so distracting when the sound is wrong dial that off dude you know like doppler effect (laughs) the sound builds gets loud and then fades yeah that's yeah i was like that's that gave you away, you know, straight yeah. up. I'm like, ooh. God, the sound designers we had on this movie, Troy and Niels, they did the most incredible, spectacular job. Because I don't know if you remember, but the um, when we were filming this, I'm not sure if you were um, on this on the second day. I wasn't. When we had – did you ever see how we shot the tracking shots with um, the DOP inside the bike? No. We had no. this bicycle and it had a carriage at the front. And he would sit inside the carriage like a child would in, you know, those bikes where mm. parents ride their kids to school. So he would sit in the carriage with the camera and we would, um, a grip would, Jess, who was incredible, would ride the bike and Charlie would sit in the front carriage and shoot out of it. And that was how we got all the tracking shots of Bethany on the road. And the problem, <laughs> we had this major problem with the bike. It um, it had this squeaky sound. Oh, I don't know what was man. wrong with the, um, I think it was the brakes. Or, mm-hmm. or something, but it just made the sound that went like like that, and it ruined all of the sound for the whole Did movie. You know that it was happening at the time. It started off really softly, right. and then it got gradually worse. And um, I think at one point somebody thought that they could fix it by putting um, oil in the brakes, mm-hmm. which was such a bad idea. Really, because then it made the brakes stop working, oh. and it um, made the the sound even worse. So actually, now that I'm thinking about it, this was a hurdle, a big hurdle. That's a big Back hurdle. Back to the hurdles. Yeah, this was a hurdle. So we couldn't. I feel I feel terrible. We couldn't use any of the sound um, 
from the actual shoot that we recorded. So my two sound designers, they recreated everything in post, like the sound of her breathing, which we got a wild um, recording of on one of the days. So if you watch the movie closely, actually, I don't even know if you can tell, but all of her breathing is redone and every sound from like the jingle of things on her bag and the pedal and her riding the bike, everything was recreated in post. Yeah. And you, I mean, and you guys had a um, pretty quick turnaround on that too, right? Yeah, well, Six we months, wanted you? to submit it to MIF, and so we shot in late November, edited in December, and then finished it in January to submit. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. it was very quick. That's great. I think a quick project's a good project. You don't want to be, and the script was written very, <clears throat> very quickly as well. I think we it was just one or two drafts, and because it was just such a simple concept, we just um, and we cast Bethany very quickly. It all came together very, very quickly, which is good. You don't want something to no. drag on and on for, you know, you don't want to, it's people are putting themselves out enough. You don't want to drag people through misery, you know, yeah. for months trying to get something up. And it's, and it, I had a, a guest on here, Mark Diaco, um, last year. And, and we were talking about a feature that I've written, which is with, I won't go on the tail because anyone who is a regular listener will have heard this a million times. <laughs> but um, anyways, I, I was telling him about the script and all these sort of serendipitous things that had come sort of uh, that had lined up and he said, that's in my experience, he's very experienced. Um, that's when you know it's going to go. You know, if it's if nothing, if there's no luck, around it and and no one comes out of the universe that goes I can help you with this or I know about this or I know whatever yeah. I can walk away put your energy to something that that slides one of my favorite filmmakers Jill Soloway said that making a film is like pushing a boulder up a hill and it's bloody hard like mm. you are pushing this thing up a hill and it's always going to be hard, but when it's the right project, you'll notice other people appear beside you and oh, put their hands on it great. as well. And then it feels like you're a whole team pushing the boulder yeah. up the hill and you get up there. And if you ever feel like you're the only person pushing the boulder, mm-hmm. it means it's the wrong project. <laughs> Which I always think about. I will remember that. Yeah. My Lauren took me four years and everyone kept pulling out, pulling out, pulling out. And the only reason it got made in the end was there was just enough momentum that it couldn't stop. Yeah, that's you know? good. That's what you need, the momentum. Yeah. But it but it but in hindsight, I I mean if it gets made all the way, then maybe my hindsight will change. But right now it's drifting so far back that maybe it's not of any use to me anymore. So you've already shot it? Oh, it's all, yeah, it all got shot. But you haven't finished it. But it hasn't even So what even do you need to finish it? I need an editor. Yep. And I need sound and I've got a composer. Can you edit it yourself? No, that's what I mean. I tried. You can do it. You mm. can teach yourself to edit. Yeah, no. So, <laughs> so I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened. And it's what we, you and I were talking about before about a list of priorities and time allocation. I don't know why I just told you to edit your own film when your baby <laughs> is literally due today. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what happened is I was teaching myself and I managed to compile it with all of the takes that I wanted in chronological order of the script mm-hmm. and attach all of the sound and start to learn a bit about color grading. And then I started to venture into the editing tools and blah, 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 and finding the beats and how did I want to showcase the scenes? Was it, was it like it was in the script or did I want to maybe 
you know, do a sort of pulp fiction thing where it was back to front. Um, and then it was like, I'm also writing a feature. I'm also working full time. I'm also trying to be a good husband and, you know, all these things, plus find time to exercise, which is super important and, and, and keep filling my brain with well-being and health and understanding psychology so you think in the world. it's like you have a list of four things and it's like pick one and it's like exactly. be a good filmmaker, have a social life, be a good husband and father yeah, and, and, you yeah, know. And, and, and work on something creative, whatever. Yeah. Plus go out to auditions and hustle and. Yeah, you, you can't do everything. So, no one can. No. So I sat, I probably sat there for two months and then Erica fell pregnant and I went, no, no. Um, and it was a whole thing, basically very, very succinct. I'm actually going to, I'm trying to put together a podcast where I bring in a director, producer and run this situation by them mm-hmm. just so that I'm 100% certain that I did the right thing and that I was within my rights to do what I did. But the director and the DOP after the film was made came back to me and said, we want to renegotiate our contract and we want full creative control of the post of your film that you wrote, paid for and acted in. And then we will come to you to run it by you. As so we you're the writer and producer of the project? Yeah. And you had another producer come by and also a director? No, no, just another director. I produced it. Oh, so you're the producer? Yeah. Oh, I well, am. it's your film. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not to mention I created it. Um, and I've been running it for four years. Yeah, mate, it's all you. It's all me. Yeah, <laughs> and and so and we want copyright for a director's cut, and we want control of the posts and the sound and the editing. And um, we're really upset that you stepped in on shoot and told us what to do. Kind of feel that that's the right of the producer who's paying for it. It sounds like, yeah, maybe too many too many cooks in the kitchen yeah, and so not everyone was on the same page about what it was. Which is amazing to me that they weren't. Um, but anyways, I said, well, you can stick that and you guys, are, you're out. But then when this happened, when, when Erica fell pregnant, I said, all right. I came back to him and said, you can, anyways, I've talked about this a million times, but you know, I said, you can have it. You can have the, but you've got to pay for it. Yeah. And you've got to have it done by December. And so did they? They said yes and now they haven't. Oh, they haven't even got a, they haven't even got a first pass. From an outsider's perspective, <laughs> it sounds like this project has. Um, it sounds like you should. If if I could give you any advice, it I'd would be to it. start um, a new project yeah. because this one seems like it has um, some toxic kind of totally. relationships and you don't want to be putting, especially now that your time is so precious with you about to become a father, I would say just start something new that yeah. is your own and make sure that the people you, you choose to work on it are um, people who will, yeah, be respectful and, you know, that you're all on the same page <coughs> because to keep going back and to keep pushing on that project, it's taking a lot of energy from you and it, it doesn't sound healthy. No, it's, it's, yeah. it isn't. Um, and I put in about six months in after we shot it of all of that injection and I really, I mean, I have spoken to them twice since I handed it over to them um, and just spoke to him the other day and I said, oh, okay, you've got to the end of March. But I have a, a good friend of mine, Nicholas Clifford. Actually, I got cast in a TV, in a car commercial last year at Haval, which was done in the same room that I auditioned for you. Oh, really? Yeah. At uh, um, um, Truce. Truce. Yeah. 
Well, okay, so Nick, who runs Tr- Truce. Oh, I see. Awesome. Yeah, um, is speaking to one of his friends about, about um, being that he's a writer, director, producer. Mm-hmm. He shares your opinion that he might have a, a, a favour that mm-hmm. might be able to get a first pass on it. But, yeah, so – and that was the other thing is I was full throttle into writing a feature, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sort of almost at the very end of into the sort of 15th draft. Congratulations. It, Just finishing a draft I think it, is huge. It's so huge, isn't it? And, yeah. and And so much like what you said about your first film, like you get to your first draft and you're like, mic drop. Yeah. This is <laughs> – so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And yeah. the pro has a look at it, and they're like, "Well, you could probably shave fifty pages off it. Yeah. Um, get out all of that exposition, and your all of your characters need beefing up, and their journeys <laughs> yeah, need it's to brutal. be. <laughs> it's brutal getting feedback. Yeah, but it's great. I mean, I've, I have learned an incredible amount about storytelling, which only helps you as an actor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's next for me? Mm. Um, well, I've been since making that short film. I've been working a little bit in television, which has been incredible. Right? How? I um got a job at this incredible production company called Grist Mill, run by Robin Butler and Wayne Hope, mm-hmm. and I got a job as their assistant. Right. And I'm still working there. Um, to this day mm-hmm. and uh, they make funny TV shows They've and also working on, um, yeah, ad- adult shows and kids shows as well. And so when I first started working for them, they were making back and very small business for the ABC. So I worked as their assistant and um, I got to see everything behind the scenes from production meetings and seeing how um, Robin directed it. And I got to be on set the whole time, which was incredible. And then they were also simultaneously writing a children's comedy show called The Investigators. And when we got around to making that a year later, they asked me to be one of the directors on it. And so they they were sort of mentoring me as a director while also having me as an assistant. So that was incredible. I got to direct four episodes of that. And now I'm obsessed with television. I mean, I already was, but now I'm just like, oh my God, I just want to direct TV. So you want to write something, do you think? I think I want to mainly direct actually. Okay, cool. I think I'll always write because it's the way I get out ideas yeah. and I, I love writing and doing short form things. Like I think I want to make another short film and mm-hmm. maybe I'll, I'll probably end up writing it just so I can get it done. Because mm-hmm. like, you know, relying on other people sometimes slows things down. Totally, and if you totally. just want to get something done, just it's do it. sometimes better just to, you know, push it forward yourself. 100%. So I think I'll always be writing little things. Mm-hmm. Um, but end game, I really want to do TV. Right. Yeah. Right. And what do you think like genre wise? Uh, I love comedy and I love drama. So, oh, and I love cool. children's TV. I do. So okay, great. Anything in in those three. Well, that's a good spectrum. Yeah. So, you're you've you've directed these four episodes. Mm-hmm. What was the show? It's called The Investigators. The Investigators. It's about um, these four kids in primary school who start a detective agency in one of the kids' backyard, um, <laughs> Granny Flat, and they, uh, in every episode they solve a mystery at their school or um, in the neighbourhood. It's wow. a comedy kids' show. Yeah, great. Yeah. And is that show still running? Yes. It's, right. Um, it runs on um, the ABC here in Australia and it's on Netflix around the world. So how do you make that jump then to, you know, be you're, – you're with this company now, you've done the four episodes, mm-hmm. you, you're still with them so it went well. Yeah. Um, what, how do you, you know, okay, guys, 
like how do I want to direct a full show like you give tell me, me. A go. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you know when I figure okay, it out. Okay, wow. Okay. I guess you've just got to hit them up, don't you? I think it's about hustling. Yeah. I think you've just got to keep um, putting yourself out there and never getting complacent or um, thinking that things will come to you. Mm. And I think I've talked to a lot of people who are older in the industry and say the same thing. Like nobody can be complacent. Everybody has to, no matter what level no. you're at, you have to always be on your game and um, – Always, I think it's also about making your own work. Mm-hmm. Like you said earlier, it's not about just waiting for the phone to ring. You I think you have to just always be wanting to make something and yeah. have that drive. Which you have to. You absolutely have to. I think um, yeah. because even even if nothing comes of it, you're internally you're still growing as a creative. Definitely. You know, like if you're writing little short films that never get made, but you're, it's collective hours, it's collective time. Oh, no project you know? is ever a waste of time. Even if it, exactly. if it never fin- gets finished, yeah. it's always worth something. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, if it were me and I'm just spitballing um, and I'm in there uh, and I'm obviously respected by these guys and, and, and hustling is what you need to do, then you need to or hopefully you find someone who's got a great little project and you go and you bring that bring it to them and then it, it it ticks the money boxes and you go but I'm directing this. Yeah. Yeah, that's the move. Definitely. I, I mean, I imagine even if they say no, they're going to respect you for coming in with the the grit um to, to pitch something, right? Like I think you've got to be clear about what you want in the project too. Like I feel like I'm always going to be going to people saying, I want to direct your show because mm-hmm. I really want to be a director. But if you're wanting to be a writer, that's different. And if you want to be producer, like I'm happy not to be um, – I, I really like producing, but my main thing, I love directing more than anything. And so I feel like I'd be happy to work for any producer and to help them with their vision, to get their vision yeah. on the you know, on the screen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be my own creation. I'm just, I'm totally. just happy to direct. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like just opening that door as opposed to I don't know, I'm just like I think it's such a you're you're in such a unique spot. Like how do you or is it something that you have to it's not because because I've never thought about being a director, I think I What don't do know. you wanna do? Well I just wanna act. Like if if, yeah. if, I, if I found out that I or not if I found out, if I if it turns out that I end up acting in my own content in terms of what I write, great. Yeah. But I would prefer I like the the breakdown. You're the actor, go do the acting thing. Like I heard someone saying the other day that that they didn't didn't feel as empowered. This is an A-lister, empowered as an actor that they needed to become a producer as well in order for them to not be sitting around being told what to do anymore. And I'm like, man, I am all good to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I get to act full time, I'll do whatever you want. Does anybody act full time? Does <laughs> no. that exist? Yeah. I mean, you know or what I direct full time. I would love that. Yeah. It'd be great. <laughs> it would be great. But I don't need like to have some kind of power trip or to be empowered by Oh, I'm producing this. Yeah, as I think well. we're similar in that way. We yeah. just want to do what we love to do, and totally. we don't care about yeah the hierarchy. That's of right. It. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I feel like well, I don't know if it's unfortunately. I mean, we were talking about this before about um, how nice it would be to just to be able to go to your di- auditions, keep your training up, 
and know that those numbers were going to pay off. Whereas yeah. now it's like, no, I, I have to learn how to write stuff. If I want to act and, and have proof of acting, I have to create my own. So I'm having to do all these things. And, and ultimately, by the time you get to the place you want to be, you've been a producer on multiple projects and you've written multiple projects and maybe directed. But so one of the, the, the sort of, I don't want to say traps, but one of the not so great uh, byproducts of that mentality, when I was shooting Lauren, everyone said, why don't you direct it? Because me and the director weren't getting along. Yeah. And even he said, maybe you should direct this. To his credit, like, but I said, no fucking way, man. I'm still getting my head around acting. I don't know if I could direct and act because they are so, um, yep. you have to, I don't know how people do it. You yeah. have to, um, yeah, I, I honestly don't know how, how people have that kind of self-awareness to be able to direct themselves or direct their own performance. You have to be very skilled to be able to direct and act in a yep. project. Yeah. I think like I, I've directed editorials photographic editorials that I've been in and it's only because I knew the camera side of things so well so I had everything else already planned and it was you know seven years of doing that or eight years of doing that but for me having only been an actor for like two and a half years at that point to direct having never directed and coming up with a shot list and Mm. and doing 18 hour days Nah. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot and it would take away from the performance and that. so that was the trade-off. So unfortunately I got lumped with a shitty director in order to get it done. <laughs> Look, it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off. It's a trade-off. Now I'm just going to not be rude but I'm going to do a quick time check because I know sure. that we both have to go. What's the time? That's it. It's five to, no, five to ten. Okay, cool. That's perfect. Great. I really appreciate you coming down, man. It's Thanks so good for to having see you again. me. It's been awesome. It's so good to see you again. And just to, it's um, rare to get to talk about stuff. So, right. Yeah. Yep. That's one of the great things about these is, is it's like if we were sitting down, just hanging out at a cafe, we might have got half of the content yeah. that we did in, in a forced, long form, unscripted conversation. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you. Thanks, buddy.